what, I've gained a lot of material in the meantime, and, uh, and so thank you for touching on that, and, and at some point I do plan on sharing that, but I thought Kevin uh, had a, good, a lot of good things to say this morning as far as just not living in fear and so forth, uh, and the times like we're going through. A lot of people in the world are pretty anxious right now, not just about this, but about some of the upheaval with regard to culture and riots and all the strange things that are going on in the world. It reminded me a little bit of the fact that uh, yesterday was uh, Independence Day, 4th of July. I'm not preaching on that this morning, but I just thought I'd mention, you know, we in my lifetime, it's amazing, and I know I'm getting old, but in my lifetime, it's amazing how much our culture has shifted and changed. And when I was a boy, it was, I kind of grew up, there was that whole hippie movement thing going on, which of course is still affecting us. But So there were some flag burners, and there were some protesters, and there were some things going on like that. But by and large, the the people in the in the country still respected Judeo-Christian values and and the, the country and the founding fathers and those things, and today it's quickly changing, at least that's um, what you see in the news. I think there are still a lot of people that wouldn't feel that way, but it is changing. And so we can appreciate a country where uh, Kevin talked about assembling together. I think we can appreciate a country where we're still, uh, that's still a freedom, although it's being restricted in some areas, uh, but still a general freedom that we have, but I think we need to keep in mind that we better enjoy it while we have it. It may not always be that way. We may, uh, we may lose some of those things. And I remember I heard that as a boy, and I thought, oh, it didn't look like that to me. But just amazing in the last even few years how we see things changing. But on the other hand, we need to remember that in all reality, for most people, most Christians throughout Christian Christian history, it has been that way, that you don't have those freedoms. So we've been very blessed. And what have we done with it? And I wonder if we lose it, if it will be because of the culture or the fact that God says enough with a church that doesn't truly honor me in all that they say or do. And I'm talking about the church as a whole in America. And uh, so we as individuals and a brotherhood want to continue to honor God in all that he asks us to do and be faithful and pray for our leaders and for our nation. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16. We've been looking at some things regarding Abraham and his life and his story. And I want to continue on with the story this morning. We're going to, I was actually going to look at a couple of stories again. As the more Again, it's kind of the more you get into it. The more you look at it, the more you realize that Oh, I better stick with this one and, and focus on it or it's going to get to be a little too long. You know how that can go. <coughs> Excuse me. You have to be careful if you cough. People are dive under benches and whatnot. You've got to be a little careful. But I need to get something out of my throat there. I was thinking about this message and, and the fact of this story of Hagar and uh, Sarah and Hagar and, and this story. And as we go through this story, I want you to think about something that sometimes we, we almost have this bad taste in our mouth regarding Hagar, like she was somehow the, the bad person in the story. But was she really? 
And yet, if you, if you look at the numbers today, if you look on some of these you know, baby name sites or whatever, uh, yes, Hagar is listed as a name, but uh, I don't even think on, on the one side, I don't even think the name ranks in the top. What, I mean, they don't, there's not even a ranking for, for the most used names, you know. But you look at Sarah, and which is from Sarai or Sarah. If you look at that name, and we have several here. Uh, you look at that name, and it's up in the top. It's in the top 100 there somewhere in most places and still used a lot. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it's interesting. Somehow we have this disdain for Hagar and even the name, and yet uh, was she really the bad person in the story? And uh, we'll take a look at that this morning. Let's start out by reading uh, some of chapter 16. But notice that it follows what I shared earlier in a message regarding chapter 15, when God made this covenant with Abram, or Abraham, and, and told him that you are going to have uh, descendants, and they are going to number as the sand of the sea and the stars in heaven, and he had showed him that a couple times. But you will notice in, uh, say, verse, um, there over in the early part of chapter 15, in verse 3 it says, And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one is born in my house is mine heir. And God, and, and, but this is what he, he was told, he said, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Now keep in mind that God promised Abraham that his seed would not be a servant in his house, it would be someone from his own lineage, someone, one of his children. But someone can correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't know that, it, that God ever told him it will definitely come from the principal wife in your life, Sarah. So when you begin to look at this and say, well, what in the world was he thinking? God promised him a son that would, that would come from his own body, but not necessarily. At this point, I don't think God had ever said Sarah will be the mother of this child. So let's read verse, uh, starting at verse 1 of chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her handmaid, to the Egyptian after Abram, and had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. Now notice it does say wife there. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid unto thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. And Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thine hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. We'll continue on that story in a little bit. But a couple of things to notice here. First of all, at this time and in this culture, it was customary that 
if the principal wife, if a man married a woman and, and she did not bear children, and there were no heirs, that sometimes they would take another wife. And often it would be uh, maybe the maid of the principal wife. She would let him marry as a kind of a secondary wife, one of the maids. And then she would have children. And those children basically would be considered the children of the principal wife. So that's why Sarah said, Sarah, I said, if she has a child, uh, basically it's coming from me. I'm giving you this, this my handmaid, and she's going to be a, a wife to you, and she'll have children, but it was kind of considered to be coming from the principal wife, in a sense. Now, there were a couple of things that went along with that. One was, you were not to, uh, if she would have children, you were not to cast her out or send her away. She was, you were to take care of her. The husband was to take care of her, same as the principal wife, or, and the others in the family, or the clan, and so that's one reason why you can see where uh, Abram did not, was not going to send her away, but he did tell Sarai, well, you can treat her like you want to, which wasn't very nice. So that's kind of the, the, the background of the story. We look at it and we're like, well, what were they thinking? This is so terribly wrong. And we would say it is, and it's not right, and it was not God's original plan that a man have more than one wife. We can see that from what Jesus says in the New Testament. But the fact was, I don't, I don't think we can necessarily say that in this particular case in their culture and the things that God was allowing at this time, that Abram was necessarily sinning in that he took another wife and had a child with her. And so let's just kind of keep that in our minds. Nor was Hagar uh, in the wrong for doing what her... Uh, mistress told her to do, and being married to Abram and having a child. So it wasn't as though she was in the wrong there. But what's interesting is this, that when she conceived, something changed. And I want to notice a couple of things in this, in this passage that I think we can apply to ourselves and we need to be thinking about. First of all, was Abram... And Sarai, running ahead of God. In other words, if you look at other passages and other other times that Abram made decisions and things that happened and things he was told to do, he often conferred with God or waited for God, gave him word, move out of here, move there, do this, go here, do that. And you get to this story, and it, it sounds like, I don't see any way where Abram ever conferred with God on this particular decision. This is a big decision, a huge decision. And I don't see from the story anyway that Abram went to God and said, God, my wife's got an idea here. Is this the way you want to have this work out? <coughs> She told him to do it, and he did it, and now there's a problem. And often, we can do that so easily. We can, we can want something so badly. We can desire something that's even right and good. We can even know that, this, that God has promised something, maybe, in our lives or from the Scriptures. It's just not happening, so I'm going to make it happen my way. 
How does that work out? Not very good very often. Not very good. And I would even say to you young people, sometimes uh, there are things that you just can't, you think you just can't wait for, you can't wait on. But I know people who are my age and older who have lived a life of misery because they decided they were going to move ahead with decisions they shouldn't have and didn't work out. Now, does that mean that their life can't be redeemed? No, and we'll see some of that as we go along. But God did not give Abram uh, the the authority to move ahead with this decision. He did it on his own. So there was compromising that took place, in a sense. And compromising always leads to less than the best. When you compromise in your life, any of us, when we compromise, when we make decisions, where it's like we, we compromise what is right or what's best, it, it always leads to less than the best. And so we see the, in this story, we see the idea of running ahead of God. We see compromise. And then the next thing I see, and this was something in Hagar's life, we see pride. What was it that all of a sudden, once she had conceived and she was, she was pregnant, she's going to have a baby, all of a sudden, she's, she's uh, thinking she's better or something than her mistress and, and Something happens there. In the Amplified Version, um, it talks about uh, when, when Sarai comes to Abram, it says, And Sarai said to Abram, may the, and we'll come back to this verse for another reason, but may the wrongdoing and deprivation of rights be upon you. I gave my maid into your bosom, and when she saw that she was with child, I was contemptible and despised in her eyes. May the Lord's judge between you and me. So for some reason, when Hagar had conceived and knew she was going to have a child, all of a sudden, she, there, there was pride involved. And pride will cause division and conflicts. That's just how it works in any of our lives when we get prideful. The old saying, don't get above your raisin, kind of goes into this story. Hagar, don't try to get above who you are here. But somehow she lorded this over Sarai somehow. Keep in mind that I'm sure there was talk in the Abram clan of what some of these promises had been and what had been going on and so forth. And so... She knew, I believe Hagar knew that whoever this would be, whoever the son would be, was going to be the heir of the, the whole thing, was going to end up being the leader of the clan, was going to have children as the sand of the sea, I mean, as far as the descendants on down, and, and, and wow, this is going to be, I always thought it was going to be uh, my mistress's son, whoa, it's... I'm going to be the one. And she got proud. Well, then we did get another thing that happens, and and this can happen so easily in our lives when we make mistakes or we 
run ahead of God or something happens and down deep we probably know it's our own fault or we're getting the results of our own decisions, then sometimes we tend to want to blame others. Do you ever notice that? I've done that, and I've known people that have made, though, just, well, let's be honest, just the stupidest decisions, and, and a lot of people saw it and knew it, and then they turn around later and start blaming everybody else for where they're at in life, and you're like, what in the world? Were, what, why is it everybody else's fault? And that's kind of what Sarai did here. Let me read that verse again in the Amplified. It's verse 5. I'll read it in the King James and I'll read it in the Amplified. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. In the Amplified, again, it says, Then Sarai said to Abram, May the responsibility for my wrongdoing and deprivation of rights be upon you. I gave my maid into your, uh, into your bosom, and when she saw that she was with child, I was contemptible and despised in her eyes. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now, granted, I think all of us would say here, okay, Abram was the father. He was the husband. He was the leader. He should have said no. Not until God gives me clear direction on this. We understand that. But I, I find it interesting that Sarai comes to him and says, Look, let my wrong and the things that have happened to me, let it be on you. I know it was my idea, but it's your fault. And then what I really find interesting about that verse is it says, Let the Lord judge between you and me. Um... It kind of seems like it was a, they, they, she suggested it, Abraham went through with it, they made this decision, and now there's a problem, but let God judge between you and me on this thing. Misplaced blame. I wonder how much different it could have been if, if Sarah would have said, you know what, I, I should have never suggested that, I'm sorry, I repent of it. Uh, would you please talk to Hagar, deal with this thing, the way she's treating me. Let's see what we can get. Let's get this thing worked out. Well, that didn't happen. And so, again, we see running ahead of God, compromising pride, misplaced blame, and I think jealousy. So Abram didn't send her away or anything. He just said, well, you know what? She's your maid. Deal with her how you want to. Oh, boy, did she. We don't know what she did. But she made life so miserable for Hagar that she took off and she left. I think a lot of this stemmed out of jealousy. After she saw what had happened and the way Hagar was acting, and she becomes jealous that this Egyptian handmaid of mine is actually going to be the one that gives birth to the heir, and, and she becomes jealous. And when we are jealous of others... How do we tend to treat them kindly and lovingly and encouraging them? You know, we, we're jealous of someone's whatever, you name it. <clears throat> Whether it's their property or their um, position or their status or whatever it is, if we're jealous of that, we're usually not the ones coming behind them and saying, boy, oh boy, 
you're doing so well with that. We love what you're doing there. That's just amazing. You just keep it right up. I may have told this story before here, but years ago, <clears throat> my grandpa and grandma Yoder came to this church. It's a long time ago. And so uh, you don't know who I'm talking about, okay? Because the people they went to visit are long gone too, okay? But anyway, they were invited to someone's home for lunch. And they were there, and a lot of visiting went on. And the one thing that my grandpa took away from that day and that meal, and I've never forgotten it. It's kind of interesting. I wonder why I've never forgotten it. But he said this about that visit that day and about that man that invited them over. He said, wow. He said, basically, I got tired of hearing Someone who never made it, and it had to do with, I think, financial things. Someone who never made it, talk about all the people who did and how they should have done it. In other words, he didn't, but these should have done it this way, even though they had made it. And at least that was how it looked. And that's kind of what happens in jealousy. I would say that that man's problem was he was jealous of these ones that had made it, and he hadn't. And so he had to criticize what they had accomplished. We can do that in spiritual things. We can do it in family matters. We can do it in financial matters or whatever. But let's be careful. If someone has something that we don't have, that we're not jealous, and then try to destroy that person because they have something we don't have, whatever it is. Um, let's, let's be careful about that. But it seems like that's one of the things that Sarah and I was doing. So... As we move on through the story, in verse 7 it says, And the angel of the Lord, um, well, let's finish up in verse 6. We'll read that again. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thine hand to do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dwelt hardly with her, she fled from her face. So she takes off. She leaves. It was bad enough she left. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness. By the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence comest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself to her hands. The angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, Thou art with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand will against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Birlahiroi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his name, his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. So she leaves, she takes off, and if you look at the direction here, it appears that she was heading back to Egypt. She was going to go back, possibly to her family there or home. Probably would have been a difficult 
thing to do. Uh, she, had a, she was bearing a child. She was going to go back there, and I don't know what she was going to have to go through. But she was, she was leaving. She was out of there. Now, it's interesting that um, God, God allowed it to go to the point where she actually left. God could have stepped in. God could have done something earlier, but she leaves, and she flees, and the angel of the Lord comes to her, doesn't immediately give her direction. He asks her some questions as if he didn't know, but he's like, what are you doing? Where are you going? Where are you going to go? What's, what are you doing here? And so she answers, and she tells him what she's up to. And then the angel of the Lord gave her a big pity party and told her to go home and tell Sarai how she ought to live and how she ought to treat her and scold her a little bit, complain to Abram and throw a few fits and things will get better. I can tell which ones are paying attention and which ones aren't after saying that. But that's not what, that's not what the angel of the Lord said. The angel asked her some questions. She said what was going on. And then the angel of the Lord told her to go back and submit herself to her mistress. And I suppose when she went back, her attitude towards Sarai was different than it had been when she had realized she was going to have a child and she began to despise Sarai. She went back, she probably had a different attitude, which probably helped things a great deal. And I don't know exactly how she was treated after this by Sarai. But there are a couple of things here that I would like for us to notice. In her affliction and in her fleeing and in all of this, when God met her, he gave her some instruction, but he also gave her some promises. So let's think about this a little bit for our own lives. There are times when maybe we are in great distress, or maybe something's really bothering us, or we're frustrated about something, and we, it's almost like we're out there feeling like all alone, and God comes and meets us, and maybe he gives us some hard instruction. You know what? You need to do this and this, and maybe he shows us that from his word, and we're, we're reading it, it's like, oh, wow. Whew, I don't want to read that. I don't want to pay any attention to that right now in my life, I, you know, but it's, maybe it's kind of hard, but yet, in that, God did not just say, go home and do that and leave it at that. He gave her some promises to hold on to. He said, you're going to have a son, and he's going to, I'm going to multiply your seed too. You're not going to, this thing isn't going to just end and it's all over. And if you look at the, the Middle East today and who knows how far around there, God fulfilled that promise. He did. Now, Abraham also had other sons that are part of that area as well. I don't know how many of you realize that. Sometimes we think about Abraham's two sons. Um, if you turn over to chapter 25, just as kind of a little side note, so we recognize that not everybody in that region that is a descendant of Abraham may come from Sarai or Hagar, or Isaac, or Ishmael. In chapter 25, at the beginning of verse 1, it says, And again, Abram took a wife 
and her name is, after Sarai died, took a wife, and her name was Keturah, and she bare him Zimran, and Jokthan, and Medan, and Midian, and Ishbak, and Shua. And if you go down to verse 6, it says, um, well, in verse 5 it says, And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. He was the heir. But then it says in verse 6, But unto the sons of the concubines which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac his son while he yet lived, eastward unto the east country. So Abraham had a lot of descendants that weren't all from uh, Sarai or from Isaac. But in particular here, God gave an amazing promise to Hagar. And I believe he gives us those promises, especially out of his word that we can rely on, even if we find ourselves in situations that aren't the greatest and aren't the most pleasant. So he gives her those things. Now, the other thing that I really want us to gather from this passage this morning is the fact that in this setting, she said in verse 13, Thou, God, seest me. God sees. She was in the wilderness. She was all alone. She was by herself. She was probably a little desperate. God sees. God still sees. She called the name of this well here that she was by, Bir Lahiroi, which means... <clears throat> excuse me, which means, and your Bible might have a note of this like mine does, the living one or the living God who sees. Now that's a message all in and of itself. She recognized that, she, I think she felt completely alone. There was no one else around. She was being cast out. She had nothing to take with her. And here she was heading back to her homeland, and the angel of the Lord shows up. And she recognized that God sees us no matter where we're at, no matter what's going on, God sees. And she named that well that, the living one who sees, or the living God who sees. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ is that living water, and we're we're looking at another thing here with Hagar in a moment, but God still sees. The the fact is, the the living one who sees, the living one hasn't died. The living one will live forever, and the living one will always see. God always sees. Now, sometimes you might say, I wish he wouldn't see what I'm doing or what I'm up to. Wish he wouldn't see, but I got news for you. He sees. He's observant. He knows what's going on. But in our times of great distress, when we feel maybe all alone, maybe right now you're feeling there's something going on in your life, you feel completely alone. No one would understand, no one does understand, no one cares, no one would care. Maybe you haven't shared it with anyone, so I would encourage you to do that. But the fact is, that may be how you're feeling. God sees, God knows, God understands, and God still has promises for you that you can find in His Word And he cares about you. And so it says that she went back. And Hagar bare Abram a son. And Abram, 
Something about this conversation Hagar must have shared with Abram because God told her what to name her son. And it says that Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. Now let's jump over to chapter 21. And put your thumb there. I want to jump to another passage in the New Testament. And I would like to spend some time on this passage in the New Testament commenting on it, but I will only make a couple of comments as I read through it because of uh, just focusing back on Genesis. But I want to read this passage so you can see how God used this story and this situation to help the Jews, uh, Israelites here, that Paul is writing to in the Galatia area that wanted to continue to follow the law, how God used that to show him his plan for God's grace, mercy through Jesus Christ, and the freedom we have in Christ versus being under the law. So God can take situations like this one back here that we're going to look at in Genesis and use it for his good, even if it wasn't necessarily God's original ideal that this would have happened, he can take those things and use them for good. So in your life, there may be things where you may have messed up or you did something wrong or you jumped ahead of God or you whatever it was, and you look back and you think, wow, I really messed up there. But God can use those things for good, as he did here in this allegory in Galatians. Notice in chapter 4 of Galatians, and it's talking about here being under the law or not. In verse 21, it says, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? And again, the law that we're talking about here is not New Testament commandments and so forth. It's working under the law in order to be saved. That's what it's talking about. Not talking about things we're told to do in the New Testament. Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he that was of the free woman was by promise. And so there again, it kind of shows that what happened back there. Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai, which is where the law was given, which gendereth to bondage, which is Hagar. And at that time, it was assumed that a lot of Hagar's descendants would have lived in that area. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth, or is of the same rank to, really, Jerusalem, which now is. But notice what it says, and is in bondage with her children. Jerusalem was supposed to have been considered free because this was... This represented Isaac and his descendants, but yet they were still in bondage because they didn't recognize that Jesus Christ was their answer. And then he says um, in verse 26, But Jerusalem which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. Now they may have looked at Jerusalem as the mother church. Maybe it was why he used that phrase there. In verse 27, For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath a husband. 
Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted, and that's what happened, we'll see this in the story, persecuted him that was born after the Spirit. Even so it is now. They were being persecuted by those that wanted them under the law. Then he says, Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. just wanted to read that so you can see that, that this, this story is used to show how we are children of the promise, which is Jesus Christ, not under the law, which, de, which depends upon the flesh in order to serve it. Okay, let's go back to the story now in Genesis chapter um, 21. Start reading of verse 9. This is after the circumcision and birth of the circumcision of Isaac. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abram, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abram, Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abram's sight because of his son. And so I don't know if he would have done that because, again, that was not the custom to, to cast her out. But this time God did come and give him instruction. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman in all that Sarah hath said unto thee. Hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. There was to be no question as to who and where the heir was supposed to go. And also, of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the one the water was spent in the bottle, she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat down over against him a good way off, as it were, a bow shot. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against the hymn and lift up her voice and wept. And by the way, this, just so we know, this was not just a little baby. This was a young teen who was with her, but probably out of water. She's thinking he's going to die. She puts him under a shrub, probably for a little bit of shade. She goes a little ways off so she can be observant, but she doesn't want to have to watch him suffer and die. And she lifts up her voice and she cries out. And apparently the, the lad was too. And it says there in verse 17, And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her. And isn't it interesting? Again, uh, God asked questions. What aileth thee, Hagar? As if any of us wouldn't know what was going on as far as what aileth her. But he asked that question. And then he says, Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him in thine hand, or take him by the hand, take care of him, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. 
And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. We saw in the other passage with Hagar that God saw. This time God heard. So not only does God see us in our distress, God hears us in our distress. I don't know that she was praying. I, she, she wept, she lifted up her voice. I don't know what exactly she was saying. I'm, I'm not sure what she was thinking at this point. We don't know. But God heard what she, whatever was going on. God heard her cry and God heard the lad. And God said, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. Was it all a beautiful situation? I don't, we really don't know a lot of what happened after this other than the fact that she went to a certain area and, and she found him a wife from Egypt, uh, maybe some of her own kin, we don't know, but uh, that's what happened. But God did make of him a great nation. And God provided another well of water that kept him alive. So what I'd like to encourage us on this morning is, first of all, that God, in our distress, even in our failures, uh, will not necessarily erase our, well, he won't. He doesn't erase our mistakes. He doesn't do that. He can't. What's happened has happened. God didn't go back and somehow erase everything that had happened and just kind of wipe Ishmael out of history. It's gone, and the whole thing is gone. No, he didn't do that. As a matter of fact, he blessed Ishmael even with uh, a lot of descendants and so forth because he was Abram's son. But if in our mistakes and in our failures and in our running ahead of God at times or whatever it might be, if we are willing to be humble... And recognize those things. I believe that God hears, God sees, God still gives us promises, and he still gives us blessings that we may have not even received had we not made those mistakes. There are things that he can do in our lives because of that, in spite of that, if you will, that can be a great blessing not only to ourselves but to others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you see us. Thank you that you hear us. and Thank you that you are the living one who sees and hears and that you are still there and you still hear us and you still see us and you still care about us. Lord, many of us here have made many mistakes in our lives. There's times we've run ahead of you and, and we've made choices that were not the best. Thank you, Lord, that you can redeem those things and you can still uh, be with us. You still love us. You still care about us. And you can even use those things to bless us and others if we allow you to do it. So help us, Lord, to be willing to do that. Help us to be willing to humble ourselves and even like Hagar did to Sarai, that she was willing to come back and do that by God's instruction. Help us, Lord, to be willing to do those things. I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, help us in our deepest times to feel your great love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.